Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's Clash Potters in Control. In the red corner, Freemasons, the Knights Templar, riddles and ancient artefacts galore as Nick Cage goes a-hunting for $10 billion worth of hidden treasure collected over centuries from countries around the world. A kind of international treasure. From 2004, it's National treasure. Benjamin Franklin Gates, you are undertaking the duty of the family Gates to find the most spectacular treasure in history. It grew throughout the ages and moved across continents until it was hidden by America's founding fathers who left clues to the treasure's location right before our eyes. The unfinished pyramid, the all-seeing eye are telling us something. Keeping this treasure safe, Benjamin, is your destiny. The Declaration of Independence. You think there is a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence? The map is invisible. Why would we make this up? Where's your proof? We don't have it. Wiley, get down! While in the blue corner... Freemasons, the Knights Templar, riddles and ancient artefacts galore as Tom Hanks goes a-hunting for the last living relative of Jesus Christ while some angry Catholics try to stop him, breaking the world record for number of double crosses in a single movie from 2006. It's The Da Vinci Code. We are in the middle of a war to protect a secret so powerful that if revealed... It would devastate the very foundations of mankind. Professor Langdon, the chief of police would like your assistance. I'm not sure how much help I'm going to be here. He did this himself in his own blood. Is it possible? This is a message your grandfather left you. He left us. It might be some kind of anagram. Can you break it? Demons, omens, codes, monks. Da Vinci. Professor Langdon, you're in grave danger. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's our penultimate Clash of the Titles, Clash Potters in Control. 
the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. He's got the bloody map. I'm Alex Zane. <laughs> I'm Chris Tilly. I think he got He does so well. He's like, and take me to Wall Street. He got map. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Yeah, just once. Oh. Got is, to map. Is that this week's impression? Is it going to be you, but it's Sean Bean? You on. know it is. Okay, excellent. <laughs> you know it is. How are you both? It's our penultimate Clash Brothers in control. I think next week there's a lot to talk about with the two movies because we've already picked them. I'll explain why that's important in a yes. moment. But this week, uh, how's it been for you? How's it been, how have you found the Clash Brothers in control? Putting our dear Clash Brothers in control of the pod. I've loved it. I honestly have loved it. Yeah. I mean, this week was a little bit of a slog, but it's good that it wasn't sort of my fault. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> what I like about this week, though, is that uh, we hadn't we hadn't clocked this pair. A lot of pe- the things that people suggested we've thought of over the last sort of three years, but I hadn't clocked that these two are quite so similar. Yeah. So similar. Yeah, and it's quite surprising which came first. I'd, I'd blocked that out and, um, yeah, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. It was interesting comparing them. To the point that I did not take your advice, Christopher, and I indeed <gasps> watched these back to back and I have no idea whether half of what I say about National Treasure in a moment is actually come straight from the Da Vinci Code. I might tweet that out when we make the announcement. Do not watch these films back to back. So is the, the, the is Scion, the Scion people, are they <laughs> that's, in this movie? That's Da Vinci Code. That's Da Vinci Code. My, my connection section, I have put question marks because... <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing. Oh, right. Next week, next week's films, as I just said, they, they've already been picked. Yeah, we've already picked them uh, because it's well, that's how we work. I need to give a clue at the end of this show. I'm explaining the intricacies of the show. But nevertheless, next week's movies have been picked. But the reason I'm mentioning this is if you do have a pairing that hasn't been picked on this occasion for Clash Brothers in Control, then do still email us with any suggestion whenever you like. We are going to do this again at some point because it has been a roaring success. And we have a database now, don't we, of all the suggestions. Yeah, but I was hoping it would stop now until we do it again next year. Yeah, but I think it might be nice if... All right, are you going to keep updating it then? Because I'm updating every day. So that's going to be your job if you if you want to do that. As long as there are no further questions, then yes, I am. <laughs> I am going to do that. I cannot wait to get on that thing, whatever it is. He doesn't know how to use Excel. <laughs> Whatever it is. It's not on Excel. <laughs> We're not there yet. Is it really not? Two and a half years. It's the it's freaking the, Google Doc. The Do you Google know what Doc. it is? The shared Google oh, Doc. Oh, is it? No, I didn't know that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not putting it on Excel. All right. No one's putting anything on Excel. Why have you You've got, got Excel a, in your he, head? He's got a friend that does Excel for us. <laughs> What's but your no, friend called in Texas? Oh, my can God. We, can we please? Let me pull it back. I'll pull it back. What you mean is Lara Jackson... Uh, Clash Potter, a listener, yeah. just she made up a document with all of it on because oh, not one of us is capable yeah. of doing that or thought to do that. Are you talking about Sarah in Texas? I thought it was Laura Jackson or Sarah. All right. In Texas. I just said that. Fine. Sorry. Apologies, Laura and Sarah. Sarah in Texas. Thank you. Laura, if you want to make up an Excel document. <laughs> Please, you're welcome. To that me. would be great too. <laughs> So the clue Victoria gave last week for this pairing, wait for it, was... Does X mark the spot? I haven't a clue for her. <laughs> hey, we are recording early this week. Uh, do you know what you're going to put on Twitter? I don't know if I will. I think we might just leave it at that and direct people to the podcast. Oh, right then. So <gasps> That's because... I feel, because it's that good. Well, there's not going to be a winner, is there, that will be announced? Oh, don't uh, say it's because it's that good. It is that good. Thanks. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Sarah in Texas and Laura think so too. So everyone's a fan. I... Um, 
I forgot what I was going to say, Chris. What was I going to say? Um, and this was this pairing was suggested by Andrew Wright. Thank you. That's right, Andrew Wright. Excellent. Did he give a reason? No. Okay. <laughs> sure. we, we, we just like the pair. If you do email them to show at clashpod.com and either Chris or Chris will definitely put them on the document. <laughs> I mean, I think he's, rather than put a reason, he sent about twenty suggestions. <laughs> so this was the best. Okay. Thanks, Andrew Wright. Uh, right, uh, because we are recording early, the winner of the guest section, which is very important, the guest champion each week, will be given the plaudits they deserve on our Twitter, where we are at ClashPod. Right then, connection section. What you got? You've done them all, really. Knights Templar. Knights mm. Templar. Anagrams. When you're decoding an anagram, the letters light up. That policeman is a member of a secret society. <laughs> Pyra- pyramids. It. Oh, shit, that's a good one. I didn't notice that one. Mm. Yeah. Pyramids. Pyramids. Uh, epic battles appearing in flashback sequences. The War of Independence, mm. the taking of Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, obsolete or non-existent question mark search engines. <laughs> oh, yeah. Will, will, will we get into that? I'm, I'm unsure about the one, Dimitri. I probably should have Googled it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, but early internet, you can have that. Is there a Sony Ericsson search engine? Not, yeah, well, it's Yahoo, not, I think. It's Yahoo. It's Yahoo, but I'm sure they do too. There's one on yeah. the computer and then on the phone. Well, Sony Ericsson definitely sponsored it. Anymore? Uh, it's all the fault of the great, 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 great grandfather, great grandfather ancestors, basically, are behind all this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, no chemistry whatsoever between the leads. <laughs> it's shocking. Zero. I'll tell you what, it's a good lesson because you can't write it. It's there no. or it's not there, but you can try and write it either by making them really nice and boring to each other or weirdly horrible to each other. Mm. But if it ain't there, it ain't there. Ain't there. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up, is what repeatedly gets shouted at Dr. Abigail Chase. It's weird because she doesn't really talk that much. This is the thing. If you're going to say your female character is a nag, yeah, then at least, at least make her nag. Yeah, yeah. She says about two things and she's like, shut up! And also when she does speak, she's like, that's quite a good idea Mm. or that's pretty sensible. Yeah, and her character, well, we're going to, what am I doing? We're going to talk about it in a moment. Uh, So on Thursday, Chris is saying thanks for the memories with the Da Vinci Code, which means today I'm suffering from cage rage in National Treasure. Let me take you on a journey. Nick Cage is a good treasure hunter. Benjamin Franklin Gates. Sean Bean is a bad treasure hunter. Ian, he's got the bloody map! How? Ben wants the treasure for good reasons, like museums and interactive exhibitions where school kids can learn about stuff by pressing a button. Ian wants the treasure for bad reasons, like personal wealth and jet skis that he rarely uses, but by the time he comes to use them, they need repairing because they've been in storage so long. Ben uses his brain and knowledge and lemon juice. Ian uses force and guns and his lovely feathered hair. Evenly matched in their cross-country trace to the treasure, Ben eventually manages to win the day when Ian believes a massively obvious lie. (laughs) A lie that is even suggested by the liar to be a lie. So Ian goes to jail and Ben ensures the treasure goes to museums and interactive children's exhibitions. Minus his commission, because really he wants jet skis too. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, a national treasure. That's my reading of the film. That was really thoughtful. Thanks. That's good. Thanks very much. So, individual histories with this movie. I'll start because it's short. I watched it once at home. I quite enjoyed it. Then I think I've seen it on TV in between then and now. So this is the third watch. That is all. Okay. You? This is the first time I've you, seen you. it. You? You? <laughs> go. You go now. <laughs> I've never seen it. Please be quiet. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the movie. It's tempting, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I've never seen it until this week. 
Oh, no. Okay. No. Saving it. <laughs> I sort of. <laughs> There's going to come a moment when I need to watch National Treasure. <laughs> yeah. Chris? No idea. I mean, I watched it when it came out. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> I really, most movies at least have enough of an impact on you that you can vaguely mm. remember the period that you saw it. Mm. I've got nothing on this. I've definitely seen it. No fucking idea when. No. <laughs> Not a clue. Uh, so would you like to know a bit about the film? Not really. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know is how many screenwriters did it have? Because I've heard a bunch of different numbers. I heard nine. Nine, in yes, I've heard that. Yeah. Nine's what I've got, although I couldn't find them. I could only find the three that were credited, which I'll mention, but I don't know who worked on it in the, I think it was... I know, it's, well, it's seven years this was in development. Well, there's six on IMDb, isn't there? There's three story credits, so oh, there'll, yeah, there'll, yeah. Be, there'll be three of the nine. Yeah, I think the story... Okay, well, if they're including them, mm, those yeah. are the people who came up with it, which I'll get on to. Okay. So this, let's say it up front, wasn't a case of trying to out-Da Vinci the Da Vinci Code because National Treasure was being developed before Dan Brown published his novel. So it was actually 1997 when the idea was first dreamt up by a couple of guys, Oren Aviv, head of creative advertising at Disney, and Charles Seegers, an exec at DreamWorks TV, who get two of those writing credits. So they came up with the idea and began to develop it with director John Turtletaub, who has had a few big hits at this point. Cool Runnings. Mm, oh. I love that film. Oh, didn't realise what a massive hit that was until I Googled him. Yeah, 70 million budget, over 150 million at the box office. Yeah. Uh, while you were sleeping. Love it. Yeah. You're, you're actually a bit of a Turtle Tab fan without even realising it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I am. I wish he'd given, yeah, done a sort of measure of how many times someone tells a woman to shut up, <laughs> which would have been sweet. But Yeah, uh, and also he made Phenomenon, <laughs> so, <laughs> which weirdly is my WhatsApp icon. Oh, coincidence. So uh, it's set to be produced by Disney and budgeted at 60 million to possibly 90 million. And just to give you an idea of what a different place Disney was back then, Variety published an article in 1999 which really sums up uh, the 60 million dollar budget. Variety said, This is a bigger budget and a bit of a departure for the Mouse House, which in the past has cut back on the number of high-priced projects it produces. Disney chairman, however, Joe Roth, maintained that Disney still has a strong interest in event picks. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's called Marvel, Pixar and Lucasfilm. <laughs> yeah, we'll buy all of them. <laughs> so, uh, at this point, it's Rush Hour and Stakeout writer Jim Koof who is penning the script. Uh, Turtle Tab spends about a year on it before he goes, I need some help, and brings in Jerry Bruckheimer, legend. So Jerry Bruckheimer basically says the first draft compared to the final draft, it changed mega. It was he didn't say mega. I just used that. <laughs> it changed mega. <laughs> uh, he said it was initially a much sillier movie, and we tried to add a lot more reality and a lot more history to it. Okay. Yeah. So if if you if you've seen National Treasure, which I hope you have. Imagine something sillier. <laughs> That's what this could have been. Something sillier. Uh, so, yeah, as Chris mentioned, nine writers worked on the script between 1999 and 2004. Uh, Jim Koof, uh, Cormac and Marion Wibberley uh, were also credited. They'd done Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, I Spy and The Sixth Day, all of which are films I think we should do at some point on my weeks. So, so uh, The Treasure. We need to talk about the treasure. The treasure. The treasure yeah. in National Treasure. Uh, Turtle Tarp said, uh, for a long time we had a treasure hunt movie without a treasure because it was all about the map. Mm -hmm. Everything revolved around the map and the importance of the map. And so we were kind of like, 
oh, what do we do about the treasure? And they decided that they had to go for a real treasure. The treasure had to be something of significance. In his words, I think instantly treasure movies get really fake when the treasure itself is fake. There's a reason why the first and third Indiana Jones movies clicked with the public. So obviously did some digging. This will be the first of my many fact checks in this episode. There is rumoured to be a Knights Templar treasure because Mm. Knights Templar 18 ships went missing in the course of the Knights Templar. They're still around. So the ships, where are they? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, apparently there was treasure on them. Oh, and they, they were hoarders. The film. All they say is, find the treasure. And it's like, what treasure? What, what is, where, did, where did this loot come from? What do you mean? Did you not watch the very subtle exposition at the start? Yeah. It got collected from everywhere yeah. over the years. It's various different armies. And from plunders. S- yeah. Okay. We'll go through it. Okay. We'll go through it. Uh, So Cage gets involved because he likes the idea of how someone could steal the Declaration of Independence. And also, in pure Cage, also I got to do it in a tuxedo. So that was really interesting to me as well. (laughs) Love Cage. What am I wearing? You're in a tuxedo. I'm in. (laughs) Uh, He says he wasn't sure what the tone of the movie was going to be, but Turtle Tob and uh, Brookheimer said they were aiming for Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart in the 30s or 40s. Uh, Brookhammer says North by Northwest was our template for this movie. <laughs> You're just saying words. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Casabla- I think Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, okay, Nick Gore. Oh, well, yeah, cool, that'll do. <sighs> it's, uh, it, this, is, this is what they... This is, <laughs> this is basically... This is the perfect example of how people talk about films before you've seen the films because yeah. this interview becomes comes before anyone's seen it. So they can say fucking anything yeah. to get people into the cinema. And they're like, you like Cary Grant? It's a lot like Cary Grant. <laughs> what do you like? Oh, I really like Arnie. It's a lot like an so Arnie like the movie. the last crusade. We'll stick a bit of that in towards the end. Don't worry. <laughs> so uh, for Dr. Abigail Chase, uh, Bruckheimer said they cast Diane Kruger because, and I am quoting, with her, there was an edge to her. And we kind of felt that you could believe she worked for the archives, that she actually was intelligent. Oh, God! And had a real what? job, oh rather God. than just being cutesy. We had a lot of girls who were just too cutesy, and we didn't hire them. That's why we went with Diane. You do have to be an <laughs> exceptional actress to make it believable that a woman could have intelligence. I, I mean, and I'm saying that. Like, Does she pull it off? <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> oh, wow. You're no ally. Jeez, come on. I think she does her best. <laughs> I did. I, th- I, I pulled that quote for you. I just couldn't believe it. But you it. looked long and hard for that quote. She, she appeared that she actually was intelligent. There's something in there. Look, Diane, Diane. See, see, she's answering. She's responding. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we get Kruger as Dr. Abigail Chase. Uh, we get Justin Bartha for Riley. Uh, I... Really liked Justin Bartha. I really did. I was a big fan when I first saw this. I was, I was really. He's got that Adam Brody kind yeah. of geek vibe, uh, nerdy thing, and that's where I was in two thousand and four. Sure, I, I thought you'd like him. I did like him. I did like him. <laughs> Have you seen Geely? Well, I was just going to uh, use this quote from Justin Bartha. Mm. Uh, this is from MovieWeb. Uh, MovieWeb says, for the funny sidekick, the filmmakers cast Justin Bartha, whose previous credit was playing the mentally challenged hostage in Geely. 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 Having survived the media onslaught of That's Film's reviews, Bartha was still hoping for a big break. He says, every time you get a job, you think it's your big break because you're working. I haven't seen... Gili. Neither have I. 
what did you bring it up for? Is he particularly bad in it? Yeah, but it, I mean, he's not the only person who's bad in that film. But it's unfortunate, <laughs> the character as well. It, he's, it just, it's, it's all kinds of wrong and he's got some terrible lines he has to deliver. Mm. Um, yeah, it, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that one when we do it on the show, which we will one day. It's a funny one because I think... I really liked him in this. And then obviously he got nothing to do in the Hangover movies. He was the one who didn't have any fun. Yeah. And then uh, I think they tried to make him a bit of a romantic lead in The Rebound, uh, which was a 2009 romantic comedy opposite Catherine Zeta-Jones. And that didn't sort of do anything. But yeah, I did like him in this. I did. And then we got John Voight as Patrick Gates, uh, who said of him appearing in this movie, I'm kind of like an anchor guy now, you know. I kind of hold the thing in place in a certain way. Like in Heat, without the character in Heat, something would be missing. When they need some gravitas, they call on me for things, and I'm getting nice parts that way. Oh, bless him. Were you in Heat, John? Well done. Well done. Am I the only person who doesn't remember him in Heat? Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, he decided to do it uh, because he was talking to Nicolas Cage about being in Ghost Rider with him, and then that didn't happen, but because it was Nick, he jumped right in. He decided to do it because he had plans to become a conspiracy theorist in the future, and he thought, I'll make a film about conspiracy <laughs> theories to get the hang of it maybe, before I lose my mind. Maybe he wasn't until he read this script, and he was like, hang <laughs> on. Treating it as fact. He was like, this is well-researched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, definitely the nine writers researched. Nine writers, John, of course it's well-researched. What? Like one writer is rubbish for research, but nine nine times research, clearly. (laughs) Well, if this is fact, then holy (laughs) shit. Um, Is he a conspiracy theorist now? I haven't really kept up with Mr. Voigt. He's a bit of a crackpot. Okay. He's he's gone him and you know the route we talked about James Woods, they've sort of gone down Ah, a similar route. Okay. Just, Just say James Woods and I'm there. I understand. And finally, uh, Sean Bean. Bin. Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Sean Bean is uh, Ian Howe. Um, John Turtletaub says Sean is a very sexy bad guy. Sure. <laughs> he is. He is. And uh, on playing another bad guy, Sean Bean says, <laughs> I've played a few bad guys, <laughs> including in the James Bond film Goldeneye a few years ago, but I think they're all quite different characters. <laughs> <laughs> they're all different bad guys. <laughs> so that's okay with me. <laughs> They share an accent. <laughs> oh, bless him. Uh, and apparently, I'll do you one story before we get into the movie. Him and Cage got on quite well. That's nice to know. Uh, they went drinking together uh, and ended up in uh, Cage's house mm-hmm. uh, in his pool room. Uh, Sean says of the pool room, the pool room is a sort of prehistoric cave and it's full of fossils and the skulls of different animals. I think we both had a few drinks and Nick fell over and his pool cue knocked this bear skull to the ground and it smashed to pieces and he wanted to bury it to return it to the earth or something. But I was like, no, just get some glue, I'll stick it back together. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, he did have to give, we've talked about this, haven't we? He did have to give one of those dinosaur skulls back because he bought it at auction and it turned out it was stolen. Yeah. He loves dinosaurs. That's all I could get from him during the Knowing interview I did. I was like, mm. tell me about Knowing. He was like, let's talk about the T-Rex and how it's related <laughs> to a chicken. <laughs> uh, critics were not impressed with this. Uh, 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Roger Ebert said, it's so silly that the Monty Python version could use the same screenplay. That's unfair. Um, it made $350 million, though, on a $100 million dollar budget. Yeah, Bloody that was hell. the reaction of Disney. <laughs> they were like, it, what now? I'm surprised. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, No one expected it to do this well, but never underestimate Cage.
Shall we go through this film? Yeah, why not? All right. We get some great Christopher Plummer at the start. Oh, so good. With a young Ben Gates in 1974 being told their family's secret. And then we get some exposition done the Bruckheimer way. <laughs> he doesn't fuck around with ex- exposition. No text on screen. No. Nope. No stories. No, I'll take you there. Let me show you. Bang! <laughs> Let me show you a flashback in a flashback in a bloody flashback. <laughs> yeah, it's good. 1974 Washington. Two. Whoosh. 1800s Washington. Poof. We're in ancient Egypt and the swords and fighting. Bosh. We're at the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem where the Knights Templar are doing stuff. Boosh. We're crossing the Atlantic with the Freemasons. Yeah. We're in the middle of a battle during the American War of Independence. They're trying to keep the bloody British from getting this treasure. We're back to 1974 and a wig has just walked in attached to a man. <laughs> Exposition done. That was that, really good. That was really good. And it, I loved it anyway and now I love it more. Yeah. It was good. I mean, that is, if you write a line in a script where Christopher Plummer says, there's a secret treasure hidden somewhere, Ben. That is how Jerry Bruckheimer adapts that line <laughs> for the screen. Guys... Go home, I got this. <laughs> Leave me the editor and a special effects guy. <laughs> the British are quite stupid in this film, though, aren't they? It's quite an anti-British film, actually. Mm. We can't let this fall in the hands of the British, so we created some clues. What, so we can't we can't solve clues? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> we we basically invented the crossword. Yeah, and Sherlock Holmes was born here. We're not stupid. Yeah, and he's Later. the cleverest man ever. <laughs> exactly. I've been to his house, his real house. Yeah, Miss Marple's mm. one of us. Yeah, Agatha Christie. Yeah, no, she's she's fictional. <laughs> You've got confused. Got Poirot, you're around. thinking of. Right. Yeah. Poirot, exactly. He moved here from France. Belgium. And Bel- he moved from France to Belgium, <laughs> then here to the UK to solve crime, real crime. That's what we've got, real crime. <laughs> and lots of it. Yeah. Don't come at us. <laughs> Crime's better than yours. Right, so there's a secret treasure hidden somewhere. Uh, but you know who doesn't love this? John Voight in his wig, and he tells Ben it's all nonsense. So we've got a really touching moment here where young Ben wants to be a knight, and Christopher Plummer sells the shit out of this moment. And so right here, less than 10 minutes in, you've got Jerry Bruckheimer making a movie, which is unabashed sentimentality with a lot of spectacle next to it. I'm sold at this point. I think this is a great opening. great opening. Great opening. So we get a lovely cut. Young Ben raises his head, cut to, it's fucking Nicolas Cage in a snowmobile, <laughs> raising his head. <laughs> Cleverly, though, this film knows what we love about Cage as well because he's it's... wearing shades for as long as possible. <laughs> you don't show those Cage peepers until you mm. absolutely have to. Mm. And I think his hair changes colour and length it throughout does. the film. Well, his uh, hairline certainly s- moves. And that's something else we love about him. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the Arctic looking for a buried ship called the Charlotte. Fact check. Uh, yes, there was a British ship. A br- the best kind of ship. Because <laughs> it sinks. We're good at that. Uh, just one of our many sunken vessels. Uh, it was a British ship lost off the coast of Newfoundland in November of 1818. It was never found, so it could possibly have drifted in the ice. Cool. To the Arctic Circle. Uh, Justin Barther uh, is there. Uh, he, 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 like I said earlier, 
surprised he didn't go on to bigger things. Um, <laughs> I did go on the page for the rebound, which I mentioned earlier, to see uh, why it wasn't a success, what it made. And it only got 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, although uh, one critic liked it because on its Wikipedia page, Alex Zane says, <laughs> these are characters who seem very real. It's their imperfections, not contrived plot points that drive the story. Bless you. A <laughs> <laughs> little, little bit of a surprise there. I didn't know I was on the, uh, the rebound <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia page. I'm glad that sap of the rebound earlier paid off, eh, Vicky? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but you're, you're all like, why is he mentioning? It seems a niche reference. <laughs> Clearly not, because I reviewed it. Um, so, setting up all the characters here. So, what do we know about Ben? Uh, he's no longer the wide eyed child, or although he is, because literally, wide eyes is what Cage does. Uh, he's quite, uh, he's quite uh, embarrassed. Well, his, his, he's a laughing stock because of his belief in this treasure's existence. Fool's gold. Yeah. Uh, the academic community think he's crazy, uh, but he does love history. We can tell that because he talks about what this place would have been like, crossing it with sled dogs sure. back in the day. <laughs> and he's not that interested in money. Uh, Riley set up tech whiz who Ben rescued from his cubicle at the NSA. Uh, he wants money. Uh, Sean Bean, unlimited resources, bit dodgy, really wants money, as signified by the line when they don't find the treasure... Where's my treasure? <laughs> we get our first riddle. The legend writ, the stain affected, the key in silence undetected, 55 and iron pen, Mr. Matlock can't offend. Fact check. Were the founding fathers Masons? Yes, a lot of them were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, John Hancock, Paul Revere, all Masons, although Charles, Car Charles Carroll, who we see in the coach at the start, the last living signatory of the Declaration of Independence, not a Mason because he was a Catholic and you can't be both. Right. So he picked Catholicism. Loser. <laughs> in Mason terms. So Ben works out there's a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence and Ian is like, I'm going to steal that. And Ben is like, no, that's bad treasure hunting, Ian. <laughs> that's bad stealing. Uh, and then there's this confusing standoff uh, with a flare. It's, yes. Because I, I say it's confusing because he's holding the flare. On top of gunpowder. On top of gunpowder. And it's like, okay, he's being spontaneous. Has he thought this through? And then they go, all right, you're holding a flare. We'll point the gun at Riley. Mm -hmm. And Nicolas Cage goes, but if you shoot me, I'll drop the flare. And they're like, yeah, that's why we're pointing the gun at Riley. <laughs> and then he just goes, fuck it, I'll throw it at you. <laughs> um, I think they should have made it clear that he knew Sean Bean had been handling the gunpowder, so it seems less like chance. Oh, I see. You know when his arm goes yeah, up? Yeah, I didn't know what happened. I think they should have had earlier where Sean Bean like, is touching it all. Yeah. Ben goes, don't touch that, it's gunpowder. Or he's like, he throws the phone and goes, you shouldn't have caught touch that gunpowder. Probably yeah. the first one. <laughs> but yeah, because otherwise it just seems like a bit of luck. That, yeah, um, he's got a very flammable jacket on. Right. So uh, a bit conflicted here because uh, Sean sort of looks at Ben as the, all the gunpowder goes up and he's... He's trapped in, in the room. He sort of looks back at him with regret because mm. he seems like, I don't really want you to die. Yeah. yeah. That's because there is chemistry between mm. those two. Yeah. Well, why the fuck lock him in then? Oh, I don't want him to die. Boomph, idiot. <laughs> Bit confusing. Bit confusing. Well, he, he loves him, but he's regretful. There is a lot of love there. There is. So the ship blows up entirely in a massive explosion, yet Ben and Riley survive in the ship. Because movies, um, time in the, to in the smuggler's hole. I know, but if you've seen, I look at 
I don't mind a little little bit of a suspension of disbelief, but come on, that ship is like smithereens. I agree. And in my experience, don't go near a smuggler's hole. <laughs> Stinks. What does that remind me of? The pirate, was it? What was the thing? Oh, it was a children's TV show. Never mind. I've got another one coming up. Uh, so, Captain Pugwash is what you're thinking. Thank you. Seaman Stains. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, time to stop Ian. That's the big plan now. Ben is going to stop Ian. Do you know how? By telling on him. <laughs> He's going to tell on him. Ian's trying to rob the Declaration of Independence, FBI. Not interested. Um, although it's a nice moment where you see uh, Justin Bartha in your classic 2004 geek chic, a suit with Converse. Oh, I was nearly sick. It's awful. It's just such lazy shorthand for... <laughs> Lovable geek, I can't bear it. <laughs> and that stubble he's got as well is horrendous. It is horrendous. Does he have stubble? Yeah, he's got really patchy. Oh, no, very oh, sparse, yes, yes, sorry, yes. not Wispy. patchy. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's shaved into it's like a goatee stubble. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, the worst kind. If you want to mention my stubble, just say mm. yours is fine. I could tell Alex was getting insecure there. Oh, sorry, no, it's not meant as a dig. It's fine. Mark's got exactly the same. I couldn't be down on you for that. It's because I'm really busy. Like you know, I'm sort of doing stuff. What do you think is too long? No, I. I now, actually, now I'm really staring. <laughs> Do you like him? I don't know if he's any different. Is it different? Remember, remember at the start of the year, I'd grown it quite long into a goatee. Had you? I actually said to you, look at the goatee and see how much longer it is. <laughs> oh, right. right. I'm really rubbish with stuff like this. Like, everybody always looks beautiful all the time. I mean it. I can tell when you've used a different shade of lipstick, so I'm a better person than you. <laughs> So they tell on Ian, uh, they tell on Ian to Dr. Chase next, uh, who also doesn't believe them and calls them treasure hunters, uh, to which Ben says we're treasure protectors. But her and Ben have a connection. And as he leaves the room, he looks at her coins and says a line, I'm hoping one of you can help me understand, <laughs> must have taken you a long time to hunt down all that history. Yeah. And she looks at him in a way that that has impacted on her. And I have no idea why. Well... It's because um, she recognises a kindred spirit in that he knows what it takes to unearth these precious and rare and unique artefacts or something. Okay. Mm. So he's showing respect for the process. Right. He hasn't hasn't just said, you must have, if he'd said, I bet you paid a lot of money for those, Mm. that's a bit gauche, isn't it? It's a bit crass. All right. But he's saying, I bet it took you a lot of research and time and care. I would have said to her, if you're missing one, maybe don't display it with a massive gap because <laughs> they'll just remind you of the one you're missing all the time. Just compress them. Okay. I thought it was because she'd called him a treasure hunter yeah. and he'd sort of made the effort to go, actually, I'm a treasure protector. And then he used the word hunt down all that history to basically say, we're not that different, oh, you and I. I that's what that, I thought it that was. That is it. Yeah, I didn't yeah, see that. Yeah, that's what I thought it was because she's, she'd been criticising him for... Yeah. What he does, and then he was pointing out that you are correct. Okay, okay, that's much better. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, after debating all the other ways to do it, Cage, in a very Cage moment, steps into Act Two by literally going, "I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence." It's a great line. Your trailer line there. Act One turning point, also in the trailer. Mm. Lovely. It is. What were you? You, did you just make the female sign from the Da Vinci Code? No, I'm doing the timeout sign for when oh. we have a time for a break. Do you want to take a break now? <laughs> Why not? Fine, all right. It was just sort of because you sort of went like that. It's just the Da Vinci Code. Like I'm that. already as confused as possible <laughs> between like these that. two movies. You didn't. That was the female. Like that. It was the womb. Like, you didn't showed do me. That. You no went, one does that to say timeout. You went, look at my womb. Sorry, you can't see what we're doing here, but, <laughs> but I'm definitely like a doing a tea. If you've seen the Da Vinci Code, you know what Chris is doing at me. Show me his, his mime womb. <laughs> 
Let's take a break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Have you ever wondered what happened to all those space-age promises that previous generations thought we'd have by now? You know, heading out for the day on your own personal flying cars or working on a space hotel somewhere in the far reaches of our solar system. Where are all those amazing inventions? Well, we're here to find out more on my new podcast, Where's My Jetpack? I'm Sarah Credis, space expert, TV host and author. Join me and Luke Moore every week as we look into retrofuturistic tech that never was to decide whether it's still just science fiction or if some of these discoveries are actually a lot closer than you think. I think we're very close to that happening on a, an even more regular basis. And what I think is interesting about that, too, is that's going to make the accessibility of getting to space available for more and more people. So if you've ever wondered whether we'll one day speak to aliens light years away or you'll be flying to work on a jetpack, this is the podcast for you. Think of the car park in space. They need to be massive. No, the wings can fold up. Well, they don't exist. No, some of the cars um, which were designed had wings which folded up. Are you happy getting in a plane knowing the wings fold up? Yeah. I I trust engineering. Trust the science. Search Where's My Jetpack on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. My cervix anyway. Quite right. <laughs> I'll let you cervix me. Sometimes you don't have to say I, I just have, to have the last word, does he? I, <laughs> we're in the break, so that's... We're no. off air while I no. said that. Yeah, no. We're up and running. Because I'm going to say welcome back, right. and no one will ever know right. that I said that. I hope you enjoyed the last 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And <laughs> Wait, we're not... No. Sorry. And we're back now, right now. <laughs> Nothing before. Now we're back. Here we are. Uh, right then, it's heist time. 
This is a great section of the movie, this heist. Um, the planning and execution. So it ticks a lot of boxes as far as heists go. Uh, Riley has wires and things with LEDs on, so we know he knows tech. It's brilliant. He's got tech stuff going on, yeah. so you just go, of course. Where does he break into? doesn't matter. How can he break in so easily? Mm. Also doesn't matter. What is he even doing? Do you know why it doesn't matter? Because he's got a tiny little robot claw yeah. that fixes onto <laughs> wires, and then it's you can see good. what they can see. I was having a lot of fun. Uh, also, Ben is so busy planning. He does what every busy planner does in a heist and eats microwave meals. He ain't got time to cook. <laughs> He's too busy planning a heist. He's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. What, you want him to fry an omelette? No it is time. crazy because they would, in the script, it would say crossfade to microwave dinner. And if you're reading that, you'd be like, oh, wow, <laughs> we've done a crossfade to a to a lasagna. Awesome choice. Mm. Uh, and, and finally, he's researching everything you might need to know about how to steal the yeah. Declaration of Independence, which is all available on Yahoo. <laughs> it's the, the top results are looking to steal the, independent, <laughs> the Declaration of Independence. Well, it must be easy because in this section, it's happening twice with people with two completely separate plans. Well, I think that's because... Uh, Chase isn't very good at her job yes. because she's told someone's about to steal the Declaration of Independence and rather add a security guard. I feel like they pull back on security <laughs> for the purposes of this evening. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's oh, well, the true. De- the Declaration got a bit hot. Put it in the unsafe preservation room <laughs> You know, while we're inviting 200 guests. While the security's busy. Yeah, that mm. is what I said. Mm. Yes. Yeah. It got a bit hot. Oh, did it? Oh, put it in the preservation room. Riley sets off the heat sensors with his laser video camera. They were a thing, weren't they, for a while? Laser pointers? Mm, yeah, yeah. Video cameras. No, like the one where you had a camcorder and it had a laser eye just in case you did, couldn't point very well. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> fact check. He would have maybe been able to use that to activate the heat sensors, sensors in 2004, but not since 2010. That's cool. Where the National Archives banned taking photos or video of the Declaration of Independence because the light from the flash could damage it. Oh, really? These are just facts. These are just facts. Good. Uh, I'm glad they did. Mm. <laughs> Have you seen it? Have you been? Have no. You visited? No. <laughs> but you, you want to be able to see I mean, it in Prince, the Prince used to do that. Prince did? Yeah, he stopped letting people take photos and videos at his gigs. In case he, what, he aged faster? Don't know. Well, he's gone now, isn't he? Well, yeah. But when I'm saying this he was still alive so it's okay <laughs> using skill and ingenuity to break in uh ben is doing which is great there's a nice uh, difference here so ben like uses thumbprints and like lemon juice probably and you know bits of copper wiring that he found in a ditch whereas ian is basically guns and force yeah. and, and also looks like he's breaking into Alcatraz <laughs> in the rock as opposed oh, to the, the same place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Ben said it's impossible to break in unless we do it this way and then it turns out it isn't because no, there's another cool. way that looks quite simple. But yeah. I do like the contrast in the ways they do it. Yeah. You know, it's very elegant the way Ben does it and what, the way Howe does it is, is just blasting his way in and breaking stuff. Mm. Uh, we also find out Ben's smarter than a computer here because he's worked out the password is Valley Forge because she pressed the letter twice. He steals the declaration just as Ian arrives and goes, he's got the bloody map. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good moment. He thinks he's dead. Mm. It's a double shock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, fact check. There is no secret map 
on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Well, how would you know? How would you know it's invisible? I checked on various fact-checking websites and every single one... How would they know if it's invisible? One of them was written by a man who claims to have actually cleaned the Declaration of Independence in the preservation room during a party. With lemon juice. With lemon juice, and he said he could find no map. (laughs) I'm just protecting people because I don't want people to... You know how incorrigible people can be? Mm. You go... There could be a map and suddenly a clash pod that were down one listener because they've been arrested. Well, well, <laughs> Nick Cage, to, to, to connect our two films, Nick Cage went looking for the Grail, didn't he? We've talked about that on the podcast before. <laughs> Did he? No, Did I, he? Don't, I don't. Yes, yeah, he bought a castle and he took it. He bought a castle and that got sent him down this route where he was going to fight. He went to Glastonbury and we discussed this. Sorry, I thought you meant he bought a castle because someone went, the Grail's in it. And he went, oh, I couldn't find it. They were like, not that castle. So he just goes around <laughs> buying castles. Well, he did for a time, didn't he? He bought a lot of castles and that's why he's made all those straight to DVD <laughs> films. <laughs> See, now I have a question. How does that work? Because you hear that about a lot of people where they spend so much money that they have to just keep working yeah. to afford everything. But those straight-to-DVD films can't pay them that much. Well, the ones they do these days pay them quite a lot of money for just a couple of days' work and then make it look like they're the star of the film. So they're getting paid five, ten million for two days, three days' work. Uh, and so yeah. it, it all adds up. And that's why so many of these films come out a year. <laughs> oh, Bangkok dangerous. Love that. Uh, right. So he's got the map. Ben's off. We've got a car chase now. It's great. It's a good car chase. The classic hanging off the rear door in traffic moment. It's a proper car chase. Yeah. Because on Thursday, we'll be talking about some <laughs> not proper car chases. <laughs> Cannot wait for that. <laughs> Cannot wait. Do you, Ron Howard, there are some things you can't do. <laughs> it turns out. Mm. So we get a car chase. Uh, Ian's henchmen are literally the worst shots in history. I mean, I know it's a trope, but come on. Like, there's a guy standing about two feet away from them and he's just like, oh, no, I missed. After managing to break in to steal the independence document. Uh, So... Now begins this theme we talked about, uh, where the cool and collected Dr. Chase uh, becomes someone who is repeatedly told to shut up Mm. and be quiet throughout the film for talking too much by everyone. Mm. Everyone everyone goes, oh, she will not stop. If you met her, (laughs) Jesus Christ. But the thing is, you can write, I mean, I don't like it, but... It doesn't even make sense. So that's the problem. That's the thing. It's not even like be like, oh, mm. you know, it's it's a bit brash. It's a bit abrasive. It makes you dislike the hero. It, it, I put a lot of the negative feeling onto Riley as well. The little fucker. Like when he's like, I've got some duct tape. Who the fuck asked you? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's just a little shit. Mm. But if she, you can write a female character that is, has got a lot to say and. But then did they think, did they actually, do they just think, the nine people that wrote it, that she is talking a lot? Maybe they do. Well, the trouble is as well, it's not just that they don't let her speak, but they didn't really give her much of a personality either. Everyone's got a trait, everyone's got a sense of humour and she's got nothing. So, Which is why it's quite jarring because she does go, the person you meet in the office at the start you go, okay, I get her. She's kind of like she's very efficient, very no nonsense, you know, knows her own mind and is like, I don't believe you, get <laughs> yeah. out. And then she does just like switch, switch. like that. In mm. that van, she is a completely different character. She's like, no, give it to me, come on, what are you doing? And you're like, what's this? Yeah. So, yeah, not Diane Kruger's fault, the fault of nine writers. Uh, Harvey Keitel turns up, who I totally forgot was in this movie. Bloody hell, I wasn't expecting that at all. Mm. I thought something had happened to my like download. Like I was, like, oh shit! But brilliant. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, Nick Cage compares Harvey Keitel's casting to Jerry Bruckheimer casting Malkovich and Conair or Johnny Depp in Pirates. It's another example of Jerry Bruckheimer casting someone who we've all grown to know in more independent material 
can I say, more challenging material. <laughs> Nick Cage in a National Treasure interview. So, Ben visits his dad, John Voigt. Uh, their mum is dead, apparently, as is the wig. So we get a bit more, a uh, quite late character set up here for Ben, which is where the FBI start going... He's trained as an expert salvage diver. Yeah. Which you think they sort of went, we've written a new scene where he jumps off an aircraft carrier and we didn't set that up at the start, <laughs> but we shot that. So can we just cut to the FBI with a document reading that he's a great diver? Yeah, I think it works. <laughs> it's, it's the only explanation for why they suddenly go, he can dive, end scene. <laughs> uh do you like the bit? I like the bit. Because um, I think Diane Kruger delivers it very well, where John Voigt goes, is she pregnant? <laughs> Diane Kruger goes, do I look pregnant? No, I don't like that. Do you not? No. I it's, think it's, it's, funny. it's a fat shaming joke. It's bullshit. She's, is it? She's twig thin. What do you think do I look pregnant means? It means do I look fat? No, it doesn't in that circumstance, because she actually, he thinks she's pregnant because yeah. he's come to, yeah. Nicholas Cage has brought her to the house. Yeah. And she's like. Do I look pregnant? Do I look fat? Mm. I don't think it's a fat shaming joke, though, is it? No, maybe not. But I, no, maybe not fat shaming. Not from John Voigt, but it's a fat shaming reference. Okay. Do I look pregnant? Is do I look fat? What else is it? Sure. I, okay. Well, I don't think in this instance because he literally thinks she's pregnant. Yeah. So why does she? When she says, "Do I look pregnant?" What is yeah. she actually saying? Do I look pregnant? Yeah. And what does that mean? I don't she's, think she's I, meaning it to mean anything else. She's not sort of. I think she's aware she doesn't look pregnant. I think it's more like, what the fuck is he talking about? Do I look pregnant? She's not like, do I look? But she's not like okay. concerned that she looks pregnant. She's like, okay, agree to disagree. All right. Okay. <laughs> From your experience of people asking if you're pregnant when you're not, then you yeah bring bring that lens to that scene. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> I'm sorry. Carry on. Move on. I understand what you're saying. Mm, yeah. Of course. It doesn't apply to this circumstance. In your opinion. <laughs> right. That's how people speak in words. Yeah, yeah. and in my opinion, yeah. it does. So right. there we are. <laughs> okay. You really think that's I really do, a yeah. fat shaming joke? It's in the fat it's in the fat shaming paradigm. Yes, I do think that. Okay. Well, like you said, agree to disagree, or just agree that you're wrong, one of the two. I can't remember okay. which, but in my opinion, that's not true. Sure, you can have that. Thanks very much. You can have whatever, whatever you Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right then. Um, uh, it's a shame that uh, John Voight's night has been interrupted because it looks like a shit ton of fun. Takeaway pizza and red wine. <laughs> Having a great time. Um, so they use lemon juice and heat on the declaration. Question, mm. would you call this... One of your classic reach-around <gasps> scenes. Ugh. Or can I put forward a theory seen as they both are involved in this. One yeah. takes the lead and then the other sort of steps in and helps. That it's the perfect. That it's a mutual reach-around. Yeah, which is always better. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing? In your lexicon of yeah. movie tropes. In my lexicon of movie tropes, I I'm struggling to think of one where it's reciprocal. It's usually one-way traffic for the reach around. Mm. But yeah, I mean, now that you've said it, lovely. Add it to the list. Of course it is. 
and it's just got a little extra summit summit. <laughs> it's a two-way. It's weird, isn't it? Like you, just because of the time we live in, like you sort of think, oh, couldn't do that anymore. The bit where they use their breath and they put their faces gross. really close to so each other. Gross. But COVID. For even like even I guess if you take COVID out of it, hot breath like someone else's <laughs> hot breath into your face. I think it's because she says as well the line she delivers it in a way that's meant to be a bit more. She's like, we need more heat. We need more heat between us. Subtext, subtext, and then they go, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's what she meant. Um. Uh, the best part about this scene, which is done very well, is the holding back on revealing to John Voight that it's the declaration. Yeah, that's good. And then mm. trying to disguise it. And when he he's great in the moment where he eventually sees what it is. He's like, oh, my God. Lovely stuff from John Voight. So uh, Riley gets uh, the code uh, from the Silence Do Good Letters, uh, which were really written by Benjamin Franklin, although there is no code. Uh, we get some changing room flirting. Odd place to set flirting, changing rooms. Well, it's a makeover scene, which so that's great, because mm-hmm. always like those. Could have done with a few more. They step out of the swing doors. What do you think? No, it doesn't look right on you. You look fucking pregnant. Take that off. That's too tight. It's such a... You can't let it go, can you? Unbelievable. We move on. And then it just festers. It always festers. I know the argument we had on Tuesday in the pub is going to come back this evening. Oh, no. That hasn't don't. been forgotten. Please, no. No, I know we're not doing it now, but I just... I always... I can tell. I can tell things aren't over when you say it's over. <laughs> Right then. Uh, so they find a clue on a hundred dollar bill, which means they need to go to Independence Hall. Uh, this is true. The clock on the early two thousands one hundred dollar bill did suggest a time of two twenty two. Cool. It's now changed in twenty thirteen to ten thirty. Cool. No explanation has been given for why. <laughs> Conspiracy. Yeah. Make your own conclusions, there, mm. guys. Uh, although. Benjamin Franklin did come up with daylight savings. I didn't know that. No, that was for it. us as well. Or did we have our own? I think he came up with it in general, in the world, globally. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, although it was more of a joke. It was in the Journal of Paris. He wrote in the Journal of Paris in 1784. (laughs) He said he discovered uh, the immense sum that the city of Paris might save every year by the economy of using sunshine (laughs) instead of candles. Yeah. So daylight savings, Benny Frankie. Uh, we're off to the house of Pass and Stowe, a.k.a. Independence Hall. I've got facts about that, but trust me, it's not very interesting, except that we built the Liberty Bell in London. They shipped it out there. It cracked when they first used mm. it, and then we didn't replace it. <laughs> like, no wonder they hate <laughs> the so British. So have you got the receipt? Yeah, sorry, nothing I can do about that, I'm afraid. Right, well, you, you, you hit it. Well, you knew we were going to hit it. It's a bell. <laughs> well, we didn't know how hard you were going to hit it. That's why we made it of glass, so you should have said. Um, bifocal glasses are discovered in a wall. Franklin is credited with inventing bifocal glasses, although not 3D glasses. That was James Cameron. (laughs) Uh, It's all too late, though, because Ian and his goons have caught up with them. It's time for a chase through Philadelphia. We go around graveyards, across rooftops. It's exciting. Behind a meat counter. Mm. There's everything. All the sights of Philadelphia. Um, Where another woman is told to shut up for no reason. The woman serving uh, the meat... mm. He tells the the goon, whatever, tells her to shut up. And it's like, and then she's like, oh, I can see why you left him. And it's like, okay, but just stop doing it. But surely you're quite happy about that because the film, it closes that circle because that goon is called Shaw. And Shaw 
tells her to shut up, which is arguably the worst thing any of the goons do. You know what happens to Shaw? He falls to his death. <laughs> That's what happens when you tell a lovely woman at a meat counter to shut up. Yeah, the film just doing pays job. you back. <laughs> In movie language, yep. he gets his just desserts. That's so true. Yeah. Mm. I really like this. It's such a small moment, but I love the bit where uh, Ben's cornered on the rooftop by one of the goons and he literally says, come on, Phil. Yeah, me too. And I'm like, you forget. At that point, you've sort of forgotten yeah. that they were all working together yeah. until very recently. And in that moment, you're like, oh, what a turnaround. What I a... loved it. It's great. Yeah. Really nice touch. Come on, Phil. Come on, Phil. <laughs> do you want to do this? And Phil's like, oh, oh I don't really. But... <laughs> Philly. But, oh. <laughs> Philly. We're in Philly, Philly. It's a joke for you. Don't shoot me. Ben gets caught and interrogated by Harvey Keitel. Two bad lieutenants in one room. <laughs> oh, good spot. Thanks. Good spot. That, that would make a good pair. I know. I'm very excited. Oh, Port of New Orleans. Brilliant. So uh, we're off to the USS Intrepid. I don't really enjoy this scene because I'm just unclear what the FBI were thinking was going to be the plan other than, like, Sean Bean is gone. To the FBI agents listening, he's got the bloody map. Yeah. But it's unfair. No, it's not unfair. It's um, basically the only thing here is to test just how ingenious Sean Bean is in getting Nicolas Cage off that boat. That's true. Because they, they're just like, yeah, it's everyone knows everything. I like, like the bit, though. This film is really good at, like, uh, the cl- or not just the clues, but, you know, f- figuring stuff out in ways that just keeps you on the hook. Mm-hmm. So when the FBI person, police officer, disrupts the in ear mic with a is it like with a speed reader or do you, do you like to disrupt the sound uh, yes. or, no, the, or the bad guy does it sorry that's I thought that was awesome like mm. a fun little thing that I've, I hadn't seen and I wasn't expecting and it sounded it looked like it would work just uh, just for fans of the movie I don't think a, a speed reader walks uh, into the scene and go but did you say a speed reader like a, you know like, oh speed right yeah, okay yeah, you know, not like, someone who reads really fast going I'm just going to read <laughs> really Alex. fast next to you no, no. <laughs> This is impressive. Everyone, look around here. Don't notice where Nicolas Cage is. It's a guy reading really fast. fast. Or woman. (laughs) (laughs) It's a it's a speed gun. Thank you. Here we go. I I don't know where the the speed reading uh, championships are divided by gender. I don't know whether you have the women's champion or the men's champion. The women have got fewer words. Because it's so hard. Men's eyes are more muscular. Yeah. So you get less prize money either way. <laughs> it's just it's it's only it's yeah. only right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only right. I mean, you know, your 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 eye muscles just ooh. I haven't got it. Yeah, just not the same. It's it's genetics. Right then. Um so uh the big plan is hey, Ben. Jump off this ship, um, which seems dubious, but we, we've learnt earlier on that he's a, a diver. So a, a fall that we are told could kill a man uh, doesn't kill Ben, uh, because as we all know, uh, training to be a diver means that you don't get injured when you fall great heights. Uh, so that's good. The film closes that loop as well. Sean Bean does a wonderful uh, thing that Sean Bean does so well, which is that weird disingenuous concern. He delivers it like no one else delivers it. When he says to Ian, you all right? No broken bones. A jump like that could kill a man. You're like, I don't know what the sentiment is here. It's so (laughs) creepy. It's like, 
are you concerned or are you not concerned? <laughs> it's so weird. I love it. Yeah. You're all right. No broken bones. <laughs> Fall like that could kill a man. Like, what are you What doing? am I meant to feel? Be. He does it all. This is why I'm addicted to Snowpiercer, which was decidedly average until Sean Bean oh, came up. Talking about it again. He <laughs> says things like, you're right. <laughs> Fall like that could kill a man. No broken bones. Oh. Okay, all right, fine. Do you want to come around the gym? What's happened to your bare skull? Did you glue it back together? So, what? What shall I mean? I don't know. So, we're off on our final stop. Here we go. NYC. There's a riddle about what the Dutch called something. I, grew, I was bored of riddles at that point. There's a street. It's called De Heer. Oh, I'm not bored, clearly, because I <laughs> memorised it. it. Yeah. Um, we're into Trinity Church. Uh, Turtle Tub says of this movie... Um, he would never compare his movie to Indiana Jones. There's overt avoidance in our movie because you guys are going to kill us if we copy anything. So we had to constantly avoid oh, anything. John, John, yeah. John, John. Yeah. Until now, uh, we're in pure indie territory uh, with a dash of Tomb Raider, although this does predate the Uncharted video game series. Um, before they all go down the stairs of doom uh, into the Temple of Doom, Ben grabs Abigail and kisses her right oh, on I know. the... Just breaking that unbearable tension that we've all been feeling for 90 minutes. I honestly thought he's done that because he's about to pass on a secret escape plan bit of information <laughs> mm. because it, that's the only acceptable way to <laughs> literally... Is he, is, is he typing it out around. in Morse code on her tongue? <laughs> <laughs> Alex, please don't make that noise. Please don't. No, no, not for the listeners. Yes, uh, indeed. It's the fact that he just goes, no, that was it. Yep. She, no, she looks at him. I'm a bloody bloke. <laughs> yep. I, I swear she looks at him like, and the plan is? And he's like, plan? <laughs> oh, just thought I'd do that. Is do that, that now rather than right, right, in right. a bit. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it makes sense. I've just grabbed you and just kissed mm. you. Uh, so the plan. No, there was a plan. I was. That's why I've done that. Uh, it's, uh, just run, run downstairs really fast. Go. Uh, so uh, Shaw dies because, as we established... Yeah, he's mean. He was a meanie to someone. Uh, earlier, they get to the bottom. It's a dead end. Yes. Uh, Dad spins a yarn here to Ian mm. uh, about Boston. And Ian says... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and leaves them there. Even though dad, seemingly tempting fate, goes, but, but, what if I'm lying? Oh, yeah. But wait, what if, what if I'm lying? No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. The trouble is, we know, the audience, that John Voigt's character wouldn't say that because he's meant to put all this treasure stuff behind him. So it works for us because we're like, oh, you're finally back in. And it, but Sean Bean doesn't know that. It works for us as well because it has to be John Voight because uh, we've established that Sean Bean knows if Nick Cage is lying. Yeah. So, like, the fact... But then sort of Ben does join in. He sort of... sort of Yeah, and then there's a, a rope. The thing. And his dad's like, shut up, you're shit at this. <laughs> Let me do it. Boston, the lamp. And Sean's like, oh, I'm back in now. I'm back in. What, what was Ben saying? Nothing. He's an idiot. So they, uh, Sean leaves uh, and uh, they go through the first dead end um, and then they're in an empty treasure room. This film just keeps keeps pulling the, pulling the rug from under you, at which point I reacted in exactly the way this film, I think, wanted me to react in this moment, which is I thought there is no treasure. And obviously you spent this movie being told there's a treasure. So in your head, you're like, I'm going to see gold. I'm going to see gold. That's what I want. A big room of treasure. That's the end. Looking forward to it. And then there isn't. And then you sort of go, oh shit, wow. 
it's a movie about self-belief, like believing in yourself and family and this like talk in this room about what an adventure they've all been on and this bond they've created between them. And let's just keep looking. And genuinely, I'm like, it's going to end there. And that's a really surprising ending. Yeah. But I love it. I love the fact that it was about something that I didn't expect. <clears throat> yep. But no, no. it's fucking treasure. <laughs> fucking fucking loads of it. Of stuff. And again, the, well, the movie still hasn't finished. We've gone from dead end to empty treasure room to mini treasure room. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I thought mm. I'd see some gold. Look at all the gold, a bigger treasure room. But also they're like, oh, is that gunpowder? I tell you what, I'll just check it with fire. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot of that in yeah. this. Yeah. There's a lot of people just sort of go, this hasn't been used in years. I'll put, so put fire. I'll use fire on everything. <laughs> yeah. Anything they're not not sure about chandeliers, wood. Yeah, why did they set a chandelier? He's like, that's a chandelier, <laughs> one for like, Is that how people design chandeliers back? Maybe, I don't know. But... Nick, 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 everything around here is made of wood. <laughs> just so I like it. Uh, there was, he just lights the wood of the chandelier. There's no, there's no petrol or anything on there. It's just, I just set it on fire. Yeah. We can see, though. So they get all the gold. Ben calls Harvey Keitel and gives him the Declaration of Independence. And Keitel is like, idiot, you just gave me your biggest bargaining chip. And Ben says, the Declaration of Independence is no bargaining chip. Not to me. And I cannot believe Abigail doesn't say, that's so hot. <laughs> I really want it. She looks at him like, you're so hot right now. <laughs> yeah, she, she doesn't say it. And it uh, turns out Keitel was a Mason or a Templar. or yeah, he's a Freemason. The Priory of Sion or something. That's Da Vinci Code. And uh, they all live happily ever after. And yeah. they get their 1% commission, which is $100 million, because the treasure was worth $10 billion, approximately is what they estimated at earlier. So they get $100 million divided by two, so Riley is bitching about the fact he's only got 50 million as opposed to 500 million, which actually seems fair because they offer them 10%. It's not like they were sort of negotiating. They went, do you want 10%? Nicholas Cage gives a goody goody. Goes, no, 1% is fine. I'm like, fuck me. <laughs> $450 million. You just went, no. It's not like the treasure was still going to be seen by everyone. That's like government money. Yeah. I don't, it's, um, there's, the bit where Riley's like, oh, well, it all turned out really well for you. And then he's like, because you got the girl. And then they do this thing where he goes, yeah, watch. <laughs> and then he doesn't say, yeah, watch. And then they kiss. But that kiss, so the second bad kiss. And that to me, I was like, it's like mum and dad are breaking up, but they don't want him to know. So they're like, yeah, we're absolutely fine. Look <laughs> at this super passionate kiss that we're having. Well, it's not just a kiss, though, because as uh, Riley drives off, it turns out Abigail mm. has made Ben a map. It's a map to sex. <laughs> it's a sex dungeon. It's a sex dungeon. Guess where that map leads? To sex. It's a dungeon. I've got all sorts in there. Yeah, and their little playful chase is so weird. <laughs> can you can you imagine if she is lying naked on the bed and he's still looking at the map, going, "I haven't solved the clue." And she's like, it, "Fuck it." It the, doesn't matter. The map was I, there. Is it's. Do you know what? I'm over it now. It's to just be honest. a joke. I'm, I'm actually not, quite cold. Come here. No, I've got to solve this riddle as well. <laughs> And uh, then we've reached the end of National Treasure. Really? <laughs> yeah, we have. That's yeah. it. That's, that's your movie. You're out. Great. Thanks, Alex. There was a sequel um, called Book of Secrets, which made even more money. Um, Chris has seen it, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as good. Not Can't as good. remember. Unsure. Um, and I uh, tell you what, now I'm going to jump in because I know what you're about to say, but I read a book about five years ago about, and it, they, they talked about why they hadn't made any more National Treasure films because they were successful. <laughs> and it's because once Disney started buying those IPs and those companies, mm. 
there weren't any, you couldn't sell a national treasure toy, basically. And that was the reason Disney stopped making films where you couldn't tell toys and clothes off the back of them. Oh. And so it's changed now, but five years, that's why we didn't get one for 15 years. And now, obviously, we've got Disney Plus. Now they need the IP to go on the TV. So, so that's why we might be getting a third national. They're treasure shooting movie. it. They're shooting it. Oh, they're already. Yeah, started. yeah. They've started. They they were posting pictures this week from the set builds, and I believe just this <laughs> week uh, they cast the villain. Who? Catherine Zeta Jones. No, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, right. back into that. <laughs> and um, but no Nicolas Cage apparently, although. I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up at some point, but it's it's a new treasure hunter, a new cast, and and uh, new characters. You need Nicolas Cage for this, as we're going to find out in the musings. Right then, best scene, Chris. Uh, I like when he uses the Declaration of Independence to stop some bullets. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then that leading into him um, having to buy a fake version of it because they think he's stealing a fake version when he's got the real one. I just think that's a really neat bit of writing. Victoria, this it's the same. Just all, but all of the heist, which is not one scene, mm. it's several, but I like all of them the same. So most of Act, the first half of Act Two. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I I'd pull you up on that, but it's mine as well. <laughs> so you get a pass from me. The heist, uh, because it features the light. He's got the bloody map, <laughs> which I love. Um, or the moment Voigt discovers it's the bloody Declaration of Independence mm. on his dining table. One of those two. MVW, Victoria. Nicholas Cage. Right, why? Just I don't think I have to give a reason. Well, I'm asking. I haven't re- I really have not written a reason. Think on your feet. Look, I put no reason. It's very obvious. <laughs> right. Okay, Chris. Uh, most valuable whatever. I'm going for Nicholas Cage for the reasons uh, Vicky said. Mm. Well, I'll finish this off. Uh, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I just didn't know. It's like, uh, Nicholas Cage. I'll probably go. I might join you. I like your reasoning, Victoria, but I think I'm going to go with Chris's reasons. Sure, it's a little bit more nuanced. Mm, yeah. I wrote, um, he's having fun and that makes the movie fun. Yeah. I wrote, he makes this average film a lot less average purely by being Nicholas Cage in it. Yeah. And finally, what would you change, Chris? Well, I think... A fun thing, they, an addition they could have made was by giving out 3D glasses when the Franklin glasses come on screen <laughs> so we could see the clues through the Franklin glasses. But then they would have had to shoot portions of the film in 3D I know. As well. Look, listen, I can say whatever I want here. Yeah, you, um, you, you don't hear that very often, though. Uh, someone going, more 3D movies, please. <laughs> but um, I think there's a villain issue with this film. Um, and I've said this before, I think it's the... the, the it's always the same with blockbusters. If your villain isn't good, I don't think the film works. And much as I like Sean Bean, I think he needs a nefarious reason for wanting the treasure. I mean, for God's sake, he's an Englishman battling the Americans for the Declaration of Independence. So yeah. make it some kind of ideological thing going on here. Mm. Um, it's all there. but um, And he should die because of his greed. I don't think it's very satisfying having the villain just be sent off on a wild goose chase and then being told he's arrested a bit later. Yeah. I just think it's all a bit, it all fizzles out with him. Mm. It is. He's sort of going through a door and he opens the door and Harvey Cotel goes, gotcha, and he's like, oh. And, and that's why it pales compared to the Indiana Jones movies because they've got the villains figured out in those films. Yeah, but this is, the Indiana Jones movies, oh, they were... They were Nazis. Yeah, they were Nazis, but they were also quite uh, the, less of a family film. This feels a lot, uh, like there's nasty stuff in the indie movies, whereas this feels a lot more pared back mm-hmm. in terms of like the, the gore and the, the horror and the death and the violence. This I is, don't know what's wrong with my family, but we watched Indiana Jones when mm, I was a little it's kid. It's just different times. They were family films. They were. Back in the day. Now a family film is this, especially a Disney family film made in 2004. He's become very moralistic, hasn't he, recently, Alex? <sighs> what can I say? 
and just I'm just tired. Tired of the tired way, of the shit. <laughs> tired of the way people are treating each other and tired of this, tired of this world, man. What would you change, Vicky? Uh, two things. One of which the way people treat each other. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I'm got. I'm sorry. Sorry, if you got a little bit of cold. Well, it's because I'm giving up smoking, so a lot of stuff is coming out. Um, it's good, isn't it? Uh, what this? No, it's not. It's rubbish. No, for getting rid of it though. It's like you know, it's your lungs rebuilding themselves. Yeah, I guess it's great. I know. I went through it. I know. I know. Mm. You've done very well. Eating a lot of chopper chops. Though. Yeah, you're really fat. <laughs> <laughs> I say looks a bit pregnant. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't mind that because that's not fat shaming. <laughs> no, that was. <laughs> I, I might be pregnant. <laughs> uh, two things, one of which is linked to Chris's change, which is nice that we've both thought of something deeply ideological in a film like this. First thing, don't have a moment where they lose a declaration and Ben is holding on to Abigail's hands and she's hanging over an abyss and she says, I can reach it because then I just think of The Last Crusade and I wish I was watching that. Yeah, it's, I mean, considering he went, he went, we couldn't do anything indie-like yeah. and you're like, this is the end of Last Crusade. So she doesn't, she literally say, I can reach it. Mm. It's, it's outrageous. Anyway, so... the And she's German. Yeah, oh my God. Mm. So the treasure, this is, it's more a sign of the times. This It's plunder, it's colonial plunder. It feels a bit, ugh. like Nicolas Cage is quite good towards the end. Where he's like, we should give it back to Cairo and to Paris. And it's like, okay, restitution. Maybe these artifacts will go home. But for the whole film, it's like, we want this treasure that we stole from all over the world. So I think maybe you get around that by doing this ideological thing where it was treasure that was pledged in support of the American Revolution uh, and the war against the British by other nations. This I'm making this up. Mm. Other nations that also wanted to revolt against the British gave their treasures to the founding fathers to say, we've, we've got you. If you need money, you can, or the knights or whatever, you can melt down all this shit so that you can overthrow the British because once you do it, we'll be able to do it. So it links, so it's this anti-British thing. Why would they be able to do it if they'd given all their money to the Americans? Oh, because it's like the, with the British in that point in our history, like we were on, we were on the way in anyway. So it was like a house of cards, wasn't it? Like once the Americans went, we it all sort of crumbled after that. So that's the treasure. It's it doesn't need to be like centuries old plunder. It can just be money from supporting nations, mm. and then it feels less gross. Talking about the British Empire, have I, have, have I told that I probably have? Chris will know because he keeps a, a check on any anecdote I've ever told on this show. So no, the fifth time me. I normally say, call you out on it. Have I told you my Loose Women story? No. On the show? I once went on Loose Women uh, to talk about the Oscars or something, but they asked, it was around the time of Eurovision. and you they didn't asked beg them, they asked you. <laughs> <laughs> I watch every day, can I come on? It looks like so much fun. Um and they, they started talking to me about Eurovision and they were like, yeah, do you think we'll score any points? You know, it's always embarrassing, isn't it? And I I slammed down my fist on the table and I went, the only way we'll ever win is if we bring back the British Empire. As a joke. Jesus, as a like, joke. Are you stupid? Wait, though. I did that as a joke. The entire Loose Women audience spontaneously applauded. Uh, like mate. they had been waiting for someone to come on and go, bring back the British Empire. They couldn't believe it. Amazing. They were like, yeah. Do you want to be a permanent member? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how these things start. Before you know it, you're saying shit you don't believe for money. Yeah, that's how I started that web. What? <laughs> so, yeah, but... Uh, Alex yeah. Farage. <laughs> Oi. Now, uh, my change is this. Uh, there is plenty to change. I like yours, Victoria, but I'm going the other end of the spectrum. I'm going small, very small. Uh, because at the very start, when Ben is walking through the attic... 
to get that book that tells him his family history. He steps on a creaky floorboard and I want him to take, I thought he'd step on that floorboard, it creaked and he realised there was a hollow below it, open it, and that's where he'd find the book with the family history in it because already as a kid he's a treasure hunter. Yeah. And then when they go into the Charlotte and they're walking through and there's no treasure there, he steps on a creaky floorboard and remembers his childhood and is like, oh, and finds the pipe under there. Nice. It'd be a nice link between baby Ben and big Ben. Good. Rather than the link just being someone lifts their head up. <laughs> That's how you go, You do the intervening years. <laughs> I just don't know what... I know, I know it's, there's a lot of snow in front of you, so you probably don't have to keep your eyes on the road, but where's he, look, where's he looking down for? Is he like... <laughs> Tell his shoelace. Dropped, dropped a Werther's Origin. Has anyone got any chewing gum? I'm going down there now. <laughs> right, then, that is us done. Quiz. Quiz. So... I wrote a quiz and then got rid of it because I was going to do you puzzles, anagrams. And I thought, now, anagrams too hard to do in your head. Yeah. And it might be quite boring if you have to write down the letters and look <laughs> at them for ages. <laughs> so I've gone a different route. Right. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about books. So the Bible, which plays Jesus, a bit of a part. You're in... freakishly good at this religious really... stuff, aren't you? It's oh. not religious stuff. Okay. okay. Um, is the best-selling book of all time. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, is it? Yes, oh. estimated. Love you for that. What the fuck? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and, I was joking. I wasn't. Is it really? As of, uh, well, no. Harry Potter's closer. As of 1995, an estimated five billion copies have been sold and distributed. But the Da Vinci Code is on a very short list of books that have sold more than 50 million copies. Oh, we're going to talk about those books today. Okay. So I'm going to describe some of the other books on that list, and I want you to give me the title. Okay. Book one, written by Johanna Spiri. This is a novel about the events in the life of a five-year-old girl in oh, her grandfather's care. It's called... I've read in it. In the Swiss Alps. It's called... Oh, uh, fuck me. It's Heidi. Called, no, no, Correct. No. Oh, you bastard. I was thinking of something else. <laughs> <laughs> that was not what I was thinking of. <laughs> wow. Well played, Alex. Uh, all right. Book two. Eight people arrive on a small island uh, off the Lord coast of, the of Devon, <laughs> each having received an unexpected personal invitation. Oh, shut up. The thing, the fucking thing, what's it called? Published in 1939. No, stop talking because I know. Fantasy Island. <laughs> no. Uh, the Swords and then there were none. Correct. Oh, thank God. Um, yes, correct. Uh, Agatha Christie, the best-selling murder mystery of all time. Really? Uh, book three. It was the best of times. It was a tale the worst of two of. cities. Yes. Oh. There we go, Vicky. Oh. Well played. 200 million copies. Really? Well done, Dicko. Uh, book three. Four. Four. A middle-aged literature professor becomes obsessed with a girl called Code. Dolores, though he calls her by another name. A middle-aged literary professor becomes obsessed with a girl called Dolores, though he calls her by another name, which is the title of the book. Oh. And it's pervy. Oh, Lolita. Correct. Oh. To all. I heard pervy and I stepped in. <laughs> uh, this Brazilian novel follows a young Andalusian shepherd on his journey to the pyramids of Egypt after having a recurring dream of finding a treasure there. Mm, don't know. No, I got no. nothing. The Alchemist. No, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have known that, Chris. Why not? Is it Paul Coelho? Yeah, Paulo Coelho. Uh, final one. This 1877 novel was subtitled The Autobiography of a Horse. 
<laughs> Black Beauty. Correct. Yes! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Well played, Alex. Do I win? You do. Yay! 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two, three, two. Well played, Alex. Thanks very much. The autobiography of a horse. <laughs> Man, sold 50 million copies. <laughs> hey, this is sad, though. The author, Anna Sewell, died just five months after the book was published. So she oh. never She saw knew. it become successful but didn't realise 50 million. Wow. I had no idea Black Beauty was that big a deal. I just remember the TV show when I was a kid. Is that Black Beauty? I don't know. Yeah, but I'm only knowing from Alan Partridge with him liking it. All right then. So, that is this episode done. I hope you've enjoyed it. We did National Treasure. Next week, Clash Potters In Control does continue for its final week of February, Fanny. It's another listener pairing, and I have the clue. My clue is feeling blue in Italy. <laughs> mm. That's my clue. That's a proper clue. That, compared to... No, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Is it not? That's not what I meant. It's just, I like the simplicity. I swear, he started to do it on purpose. He's known how to get like pit us against each other. It's, it, I, I've always sort of thought, no, it's just it's just me. It's I blame myself. It's not. It, and you. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's Chris. Interesting. Yeah, it's starting to happen more and more. Thank you for sharing that. No, no worries. I'll just, look out for I it. I think it's wise that we're both aware. Sure, yeah. Uh, I really I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, my proper clue, though. Yeah, yeah, fair is, enough. Uh, <laughs> feeling blue in Italy. Oh, yeah, that is good. <laughs> <laughs> right, then. Uh, in the meantime, uh, please subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you've got the time. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at Clashbow. We're back on Thursday talking The Da Vinci Code. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.